unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And it appears we have a very special guest today as well. We do. And his name is Justin Blackman. His company is Pretty Fly Copy. And Justin knows his way around marketing and branding and copywriting. He's worked with clients from Red Bull and Five Hour Energy to info marketing guru Amy Porterfield and Rob Marsh of the Copywriter Club. And all I can say is that Red Bull must be working because last year he wrote copy for 239 entrepreneurs and more than a dozen brands. But however he summons this energy, this is a guy who gets things done. Justin is an expert on a much needed but greatly overlooked topic, writing in the client's voice or in your own authentic voice. He's an expert on that, and we're really looking forward to hearing what he has to say about it. He's even a an instructor for Codex Persona Workshops. It's a training program that teaches writers how to measure and scale a client's voice. Maybe you'll tell us about that towards the end, Dustin. His company creates very specific voice guides for industry experts and growing businesses. So, Justin, welcome. Thanks for coming. Happy to be here. Yeah. During our interview, I might ask you what my voice is in the marketplace, but I think I know. When most people think of me, they think of this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Justin, before we get into the meat and potatoes, I was wondering if you could share with us the experience you had with a puppet when you were 11, <laughs> including the dream. That, that is the strangest intro that I've ever had. But yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, the, I've got uh, a process that I use for discovering uh, brand voice called brand ventriloquism. And it does sort of bring up a haunting memory when I was about 11 years old and uh, I remembered watching a couple of ventriloquists and stand-up comics and seeing them use dummies and really wanted to get one. And my parents took me to a magic store and uh, we got this clown one and uh, it was great. And I was starting to use it and everything was, was kind of going and I was learning a little bit of it. Not that I was very good, but I knew how to do it. And then I saw a poltergeist. And they had that one scene where he's got the clown on the chair that attacks him. And yeah. I'm watching it, and, and that clown looked almost identical to the ventriloquist clown that I had. Ah. <laughs> so I made my parents get rid of that thing so fast. I have no idea what happened to it. But my ventriloquism career ended at that point uh, up until recently when I uh, started writing. Well, that's, that's an interesting um origin story for ventriloquism, whether you want it to be or not. Um, but let's talk about what you do, because I think it'll be very useful to everyone listening, whether they're a one-person business or 
you know, whether they're one of our eight or nine figure business owner listeners, what is brand ventriloquism and how did you get into it? So uh, a couple of years ago at um, the Copywriter Club conference, Abby Woodcock had given a presentation about the Codex persona. And her background was journalism. So she had been used to working off of an AP style guide and just always had a reference book on her desk. And she was writing for Ramit Sethi at the time. And she was writing and Ramit said, how do you get my voice so well? Like you, you've only been here a couple of weeks, but you seem to be able to, to get my style more than anyone else. So she realized that she had been collecting all of her, her, his information and created her own AP style guide. And dissected everything. And she taught us how to do it. I nerded out over this and it was just like a light bulb moment and kind of changed my career path. I then latched onto her as close as I could. And I learned everything from her about how to analyze and dissect copy. And uh, we learned that voice is measurable and she breaks it down into three components. There's the vocabulary, so the words that you use, the tone, which is the emotion behind all your pieces, and the cadence, which is the style of your writing, the rhythm. So once you can nail down these three factors, the majority of uh, voice uh, mirroring and being able to replicate it is done. You know what they say, how they say it, and the way that they write it. So, but the, the deeper and deeper you go, the more you can capture the voice precisely. And then we also, um, I, I learned to look at their writing and identify all of their unique habits, you know, the ways that they... Uh, use commas, whether it's grammatically correct or not. Uh, if they use parentheses, are they more prone to writing lists in those parentheses, or are they asides? Are they little whispers to the audience? Little nuances and tells that everyone has that identifies a style as theirs. I've gotten so deep into the weeds with this that I can identify it almost instantly when I look at people's copy, and I can mirror it very fast. You know, I can imagine what Nathan's thinking about this right now, because this sounds exactly like text analysis that the intelligence agencies use. Um, <laughs> any comment on that? You know, you can pass if you want. I'm just going to sit here and keep listening. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, seriously, that's great. And um, one of the things that my buddy John Carlton says, which I would generally agree with, although you may have turned what I'm about to say on its head, you and Abby, is, Justin, is um, that learning to write in a conversational tone is one of the last skills that comes in for a lot of copywriters. And you're really talking about more than a conversational tone. You're talking about the specific conversational tone of a client, which is different often maybe than the generic conversational tone we see in a lot of sales letters. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, when you're writing, there's really two parts to it. You need to be effective. And that's, that's the, the foundation of all your copywriting skills. Like, so if you're studying from you or from John Carlton, you're teaching about how to get the message across as best as possible. I'm more about keeping it authentic. So it, it sounds like it's coming from a specific person, even if they didn't write it. So yeah, it's. It, it's as conversational. It, it sort of depends on the entrepreneur. There are certain ones that hire me because they want to sound more conversational and I can do that for them with still maintaining the uh, essence of who they are. Um, and there are other people that already are conversational and we just need to continue the, the, the themes behind it. That's interesting. So could you give us an example 
of a good brand voice that you developed for someone and sort of walk us through how you did it, uh, preferably someone in the, you know, copywriting, entrepreneurial, small business, info marketing kind of space, as opposed to a Puma or a Red Bull, which is mighty impressive, but maybe not as applicable. Yeah, for sure. Most of the work that I've done is more with entrepreneurs rather than big brands. And there are differences, but there's definitely a, a big overlap. Um, so a lot of it has to do with, uh, I'd say the brand voice, a lot of it comes down to tone. Um, and there's there's an interesting uh, tool that I use, which is a little polarizing, which I'll get to in a minute. But a lot of it comes down to the underlying messages that are the underlying themes behind um, behind certain voices. and some of it has to do with fear and it's there are certain people that talk about their solutions and paint really positive pictures about the future and what everything will be like and there are others that will go really dark about the negative situations that you're in now and they'll they'll future pace the happiness but there are certain uh, and it, it's interesting because some people don't want to touch fear at all other people are, are willing to go dark into it um, other people will soften it. Um, you know, they might say, you know, I was like comically nervous. So it has a light and a dark. So they balance it. There are people that use a lot of definitives. You'll never do this. And then you'll have other people that will soften it with, you'll probably never do this. So they're, they're the words that if you're reading textbooks, they will say, you know, never use the hedge words like just maybe sometimes. But there are, there are people that specifically do use that. So you need to be able to analyze these and figure out whether you want that or whether you want it to soften or whether you want to be bold. Um, I'd say that those are probably the primary differences between most brands. Okay. Have, have you got an example of a, a brand where you did it and what you found out about them and what their reaction was when they found out they were definitive or a hedger or whatever? Yeah. Um, NDAs prevent me from saying a lot of the names, but I can give some pretty specific examples. Sure. Um, there were people that were very surprised at how dark they go with with their copy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because they, they were always thinking about the future where everything was light. But they, like when I, when I analyzed their copy and I, I showed them the fear-based words and the tones behind it, they were like, oh, I never want to do that. I'm like, no, but you do it. <laughs> You do it now and it works. Yeah. And like, oh, well, I need to change that. I said, no, you don't. It's working. And you kind of have to point out to them that these things are there for a reason. You have to be that's, able to that's funny. I mean, it's it's sort of like, you know, I'm I'm having this picture um of this, you know, guy walking around with a pitchfork and he's got a tail and horns and he, he's trying to imagine a halo above his head. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. And they're not, it wasn't bad. Um, it wasn't overly negative, but they're like, I don't want to have any negativity. I'm like, no, you do. Because people can relate to that. You're stirring up the emotions that they're feeling now. And they they never even realized that they had that. And then they've sort of embraced it and they're willing mm -hmm. to talk about it a little bit more and you know, realize that there are some open wounds that uh, they're okay to address. Okay, that's really good. Um, how about a... a bad brand voice, somebody who was really doing themselves or their company the wrong way, didn't know it, either it was innocent or it was for stupid reasons or for whatever. And I understand you have NDAs, so 
you know, you yeah. Can take it up so a lot of this, um, again, I'm not here to say who's good and who's bad because I, I have to write in different styles all the time. But um, I will say that the companies and the brands that are the, um, I'd say the the least readable are um, usually the tech companies. Yep. Um, and that has to do with uh, them being too close to it. They've got the burden of knowledge and they understand all of the the key elements that make their platform better. And they're overly educated and they use complex terms. Um, so it, it's very sophisticated. Uh, so bad brand voice tends to usually do with the level of awareness that they have and not being able to communicate to, uh, to, the, to the benefits of their features and not speaking to the audience. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over a copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. Um, okay. So what do you do when, when you get someone like that? I mean, you just, just start, you know, uh, smothering their copy with features or, I mean, because they're not gonna, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Again, I gotta be careful because of a, NDA kind of situation. I have a client who comes from a very, um, how can I put it, sort of evangelistic, uh, uh, you know, personal growth, high, high power words. I think you know what I'm talking about, kind of yeah. environment. And he ended up writing for a very successful guy in, we can call it the tech marketing space. I'll just leave it there. And he just kept getting slapped down until. Uh, I explained to him, no, this guy doesn't talk. And I'm I'm not an expert like you. I'm not even trying to be. But I I'm, I can see it in broad enough strokes to, to know that this guy would never talk that way. It, it, it's it's not like a revival meeting. It's it's more like, um, you know, a very enthusiastic scientific presentation. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. how do you, what do you do with guys like that yourself? Well, this is where some of the uh, the elements of n having the solid foundation of being a good copywriter come in, where knowing to position the benefits. So, what I would do is, you know, we we'll we'll swap some of the the features for benefits, obviously, but we'll still write them in a if they're writing to a an educated crowd, we'll still write them in the larger words. But we'll still so we'll still maintain the the tone that they have. We'll maintain the cadence that they have. Um, We'll swap, we'll keep the level of vocabulary. So if they write at like, if, if we were to run it through Hemingway and get complex sentences and like grade 11, um, if that is their brand, I'm not there 
if, if I'm just writing like one or two pieces for them and I'm not there to change their brand and I'm just there to write in their brand, I'll still write at that level. I'll still use the complex words. I'll still, I'll still use the, the jargon, some of the technical terms, if it's appropriate for the audience. Um, but I, I have to realize that it's different from my style, where if I'm short and choppy and use short words and I typically write at like grade one or two on Hemingway, I need to adapt my style to write longer and more sophisticated words. It's a matter of maintaining the consistency with their existing style. And, uh, you know, we might be correcting certain, um, certain viewpoints on it and switching it more to a you versus me, but I'm still going to talk like them. And that's where the, the, the larger vocabulary comes into play. That's interesting. So have you seen copy that converts at the 11th grade level? Because I, I've sort of had some of these absolute rules in my mind that really shouldn't get above seventh or eighth grade, no matter what, no matter who you're writing to. And in fact, we even talked about that um, in our back and forth, uh, you know, regarding the, you know, on, on the private call with Robin Kira's group mm -hmm. um, and the person who said, well, I write to Ivy League CEOs. And I <laughs> said, well, there's an Ivy League, uh, a, uh, uh, a Yale educated um, judge who's going for the Supreme Court. And in Congress, he just said, I like beer, Senator. Do you like beer? Those are really short words. And, uh, you know, I mean, the fact is everybody has that vocabulary. And sometimes, in my mind, the emotional punch you need to move a person over their resistance to a sale comes from those short words. You're saying there are uh, other paths that are effective. Can you talk about that? Sure. And I love that example. I've, I've uh, reused that example several times since you gave that. I love that, that uh, judge example. Um, so typically, you know, again, there are certain times when I'm, it depends what I'm writing. I'm not necessarily writing for conversions. I might be writing an email for their list that is about, um, it's just them talking, uh, just an update on certain things. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not necessarily sale-based. Um, so there are times that we do need to, to to stand like that. And what I often what I find is they still want that smart sounding copy, even though it's not as accurate. One of the simplest things to do to make it a little bit more readable is just shorten the sentences. Um, you know, Hemingway, one of the easiest cheats is when you see the difficult to read sentences, just put a period in it, and all of a sudden it becomes too easy yeah. to read. Yeah. So I find that changing the cadence is sometimes the only part of their voice that we need to, to that we need to change you ever listen to them talk and compare that to how it's written is that like one of the main things you do i do sometimes but people are also very prone to speaking differently than they write um like i write uh funnier than than i speak usually um because i have time to edit uh but a lot of times so again we're talking about vocabulary tone and cadence if we need to simplify writing sometimes changing cadence and sentence length is is literally the only change that that will get approved um, if they are. If you're talking to a high-level person and is very adamant and very particular with their writing, they still say no. That doesn't sound like me. Sometimes cadence is literally the only thing that you need to change. Okay, that, that's really good. So let's um, let's broaden this a little bit to the bigger picture of brand voice, not just what you do, but the whole idea. I mean, it's sort of a new idea to a lot of people. It's probably 
in in some circles has been around for for decades i would guess but you know why is it so important in in your opinion as unbiased as you could be about this is is what you do for a living um you think it will become even more important in the future I do think that it's uh, it's extremely important, probably now more than ever, because competition is so fierce. But brand voice is what identifies you as being right for the consumer. It can make you unique. It can identify you as inarguably you. And uh, it creates a theme throughout everything that just relates and it makes people feel comfortable with you. Um, it's a way of attracting your tribe. And it could be, you know, a safe and warm type thing, or it could be waving your freak flag. Uh, it can be as wild as and crazy as you want it. And uh, it's just about finding unique tendencies and just self-identifiers that people can recognize and say, yep, this is the place for me. Do you think it's going to become more important in the future? I do. Um, definitely, uh, mostly because of the amount of competition that's out there. And people are always trying to create something new and um, or not necessarily create something new, but piggybacking off something that is working. You know, like one of my favorite things is I'm known for, I have a lot of different socks and a lot of wild socks. Uh-huh. And there are some sites that I go to, which are like, as soon as I land on them, I say, I see that they've got women's socks up front and it's a very feminine tone. And I'll be like, oh, I like these socks, but they're not for me. So I'll bounce. Then there's some that are more gender, gender neutral and, you know, men click here, women click there, and I'll and I'll I'll stay there. Then there's another one, and one of my favorite brands out there is called Freakers. And you go there, and it is wild, and it almost feels like you're at a Burning Man festival. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's fun copy. It's unique. Um, and you you just want to click to read the descriptions of things because it's funny and sort of it, like a Jay Peterman kind of yeah. Um, you know, it, it's almost more like an old spice. Um, oh, okay. like it's not story based, yeah. but their descriptions are comical compared to, you know, I can compare like old spice to dove. Um, dove is basically like, here's what's in it. And old spice, they've got, I actually have one printed out. They've got a product description that says wilderness with lavender smells like wild lavender, which is much rowdier than ordinary lavender. <laughs> And, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. It says a little bit about what it is. And it's like, duh, it smells like lavender, but it's written fun. And that first bullet point is going to make you keep reading uh, compared to Dove, which is up to 48 hours of antiperspirant protection. So you see the difference. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to pull out the, so Dove says you won't stink and, and, and Old Spice says you'll smell awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a do versus a don't. Um, so I think that's more about the freakers is more like old spice where it's just fun and you want to keep on reading just to see what's going to come next. Okay. That's, that's really good. So tell us how people can contact you and, and what they can get from you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if you're interested in voice guides for yourself, I do those over at pretty fly copy and easiest way to remember that. And here comes your pun, David is all the people say I'm pretty fly for a right guy. So that's prettyflycopy.com. And then we also have the Codex Persona, which is the course where we teach you how to create your how to create voice guides. And this is more for writers to get um, granular and to understand how to write in a client's voice to cut down on the amount of uh, errors and edits and feedback and get their client saying, yep, this sounds like me. 
And Codex is that on your website or is that codexpersona.com or how do you find codexpersona.com? Okay. That's very good. All right. Well, this was awesome. Thanks for the pun. Thanks for the great information. I mean, I really think this is like uh, Dan Brown call it, you know, I mean, I, I think you found this key to stuff. It's not the Holy Grail, but it, it's something like that. Right. I mean, because, uh, well, you and Abby, I mean, wow. So many people have so much trouble with this and they don't have a clue. It's, and, you know, it's always been spitballing, you know, from my point of view, but you've got it down to a science. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's voice is measurable and it's the, the thing, it's the element that makes your copy become more authentic. Okay. If you guys have a couple of minutes, I do have a couple of questions. Oh yeah. I do. Um, So number one with copy being spread across so many different platforms now, how important is it to keep that, that voice the same where we see people have social media posts. We see people have actual advertisements. We see people have uh, Facebook live videos. How important is it to make sure that across all the different forms of communication, they still sound like they're in the same voice? I love this question. Uh, it is, again, now more important than ever because there are so many places to try to be different. You need to create that message match. You need to sound the same on multiple platforms. And you can have different ideas and say things differently, but you need to have that same underlying um, voice throughout it where, uh, you know, I've had people say, hey, I want you to write a really funny ad for me. And I want it to go up on Facebook and it's going to drive to this page. And so I'll create a look at the page. I'll be like, well, the page isn't funny. So why am I going to create a funny, a funny Facebook ad that's going to drive to a straightforward page? You're going to get a high bounce rate. That's a, a, there's no message match there. So you need to, to maintain that consistency. And because uh, like social is getting so specialized and there are different ways to write for Facebook versus Twitter versus Instagram, you need to be able to have your experts write uh, for each platform, but still maintain that consistency where everything is going to match and your conversions will, will be higher because there's nothing that's just awkward when you land on a page and be like, well, this isn't what I clicked. So yeah, it, it's insanely important. And then my other question is when it comes to swiping, I've seen ads that convert like gangbusters for one brand and then another brand will do a very blatant swipe almost to the point of plagiarism and it just bombs for them. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts on um, when it comes to swiping and applying your brand voice? That's usually got to do with the difference of an underlying tone and a theme. Um, you know, swipes are, are templates and if you use them properly, there is science, but you do need to adjust for it. And, you know, with the Facebook ads, one of the, one of the styles that the agency that I write for is particularly known for is those like, almost like the Frank Kern style where it's like four word sentences, just double space down the page. It just keeps you scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So we get a lot of people that says, yeah, I want, I want it to be like that. And, you know, we can swipe the same idea, but I'll need to change the cadence of it because I see that they write in long flowy sentences. So I'll adapt it and the message is still there, but the cadence is different and it looks entirely different than, than the swipe. So there are, as long as you're using the, the template and the proven science and the, the theme behind it, I think it's okay, but you need to change the voice to make it match and have it fit your brand. 
Nice. Okay. Um, before we're out of here, where can people go again to check out your websites? Sure. I'm at prettyflycopy.com, prettyflycopy.com and codexpersona.com. Awesome. Thank you, Justin, for coming on. I really appreciate it. David, another fantastic guest selection. And David, if people enjoyed this podcast, where can they go get more? Copywriterspodcast.com. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And until next time, we will catch you later. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.